Hi, I'm Debbie Georgias. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today we're going to talk about Elizabeth Warren says amnesty is good for the American workers. Not kidding. Candidate Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins me in studio. Sand, Democrat candidate Sanders and Warren announce a giveaway sweepstakes. And finally, the Hillary Clinton comeback tour. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. So glad you've tuned in. Today for the first five, I want to share a clip in just a moment. The very wonderful Matt has it ready. Share a clip of something that presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren said over the weekend on stage as a policy position. Before I do that, though, I want to talk about where we are in the polling. I am sure as I'm sitting here looking at you that eventually Joe Biden is going to have to drop out of this race. The combination of his and I don't wish mental faltering on anyone, but he's not He's not doing well and keeping his act together. But secondly, I think all of the uh, danger that he faces because the Democrats are going after President Trump on Trump alleged Trump Ukraine collusion is bringing to the forefront Biden's collusion and his son Hunter with Ukraine, with China, and his corruption just is it can't be ignored. He's going to be out of the picture. So we're going to be down on the, on the left if no one else gets in, we'll be down probably to Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. And actually the polling is showing that. Elizabeth Sanders is, Elizabeth Warren is moving up. She's likable and especially she's now leading among college age Democrat voters. They put her, Elizabeth Warren, as number one. So if you ask anyone, I think on the street, what are the top issues facing America? You know, what, what do we think about the, the issues that will affect America's future? Immigration makes almost everyone shortlist. Bear in mind, Elizabeth Warren is one who called President Trump's idea of building a wall silly and stupid. That with those earlier remarks when Trump was first talking about building a wall, she has opposed the idea of funding uh, border security, funding the wall being built. And she has also been among the Democrats who are very sympathetic to sanctuary cities. So this is a person very sympathetic already to people in this country illegally. She's also one who does not seem to want to stop the uh, border, the open border problem we have. She was even in an article by Vox, which is a left-wing um, outlet, left-wing news outlet on Vox. Her views on immigration, even on Vox, were ranked as the most radical immigration ideas in the 2020 primary. So she's way out there in the far left on immigration. What they're calling her radical idea in the Vox piece was the idea that she's saying, why is it even a crime to enter America illegally? Why should that even be on the books? Let's take it off the books. Let's, she's literally calling for eliminating, I think it's 8 U.S. Code 1352 or something like that, eliminating that provision in federal law and saying, just let them all come in. No reason to call that a crime. She has lamented the idea that we separate children from the people who bring them across the border until we can figure out whether or not those children are being trafficked or they really are the children of those immigrants. So. All of that, this is an extremely open borders candidate, someone who's trying to encourage that we do not impose penalties for people entering America illegally. And now I want to play the very happy Matt, what Elizabeth Warren had to say this past weekend. 
Oh, actually, oh. I, well, I'm sorry. Let me say this. So they had she was on stage being questioned. The organization that put this event on, by the way, was a huge labor union. So she's in a labor union setting. She's on stage. They have a question. This was actually a question appearing on camera on the screen. This is a guy who did the first half of his question in Spanish, and then he turned to English. And now we'll hear what he had to say. How would you fix our immigration system and make sure we put our workers first? That's terrific. So let me start with a statement of our values. Immigration does not make our country weaker. Immigration makes our country stronger. And here's how I see it. Part one, we need to expand legal immigration. Part two, we need a pathway to citizenship for the people who are here and here to stay. They are our neighbors, they are our brothers and sisters, they are here. We need a path not just for dreamers, but also a path for grandmas and for little kids and for people who came here to work on farms and for students who overstayed their visas. We need a path that is fair and achievable. It bring people out of the shadows, it is good for all workers, and we need to get them into our unions. That's part two. It was interesting to watch that clip. The guy who's questioning her is obviously some official with this big union. He, I watched most of the clip, he never clapped. He never smiled. I think he's looking at her thinking, what in the world are you saying to all of these people that they, the union, represent who want jobs? Her answer to the, the question of how you're going to protect American workers with your immigration policy was legalize everybody, bring them all in, send them, put them in the unions. That will somehow assure job security for American citizens. That's what she's saying. Last thing on the first five days before we turn to our wonderful guests in the studio is this. America has, at a minimum, inside our borders, the, the low-end estimate is 11 million illegal aliens living in this country. An MIT and Harvard professor study last year said the number is really more like 22 million. Right here in Dallas, we have a hospital where we have babies. Well, Dallas is, you know, it's in Texas, it's a border state. But we have a hospital here in Dallas where we had just last year 60,000 babies born to mothers who are illegally in America. So we have the anchor baby thing going on. We have you know, somewhere between 11 and 22 million illegal aliens. And her answer to a young guy who's working in America, clearly legally, saying, what are you gonna do to protect us is, let's let them all in and let's just make them all legal. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. I'm going to turn and talk to our guests we have. In, I love having Alan West in the studio, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Hello, sir. Good to be with you, Debbie. Glad you're here. Yeah. I do want to talk to you about uh, your campaign. You are mm-hmm. a candidate now. But before we uh, get to that, I was watching your face during Elizabeth <laughs> Good Warren's thing I wasn't clip. on camera. So yeah. do you have it, would you like to respond to her uh, yeah. position on immigration? Well, first of all, the, the, the leftists never talk about illegal immigration. They immediately go to immigration is good for America. We're not, we can understand that. We agree with that. But the question is about illegal immigration. And it is very perplexing to me that you have people running to be president of the United States of America that they don't believe that there should be a United States of America. Because yes. if, you know, it's very simple. So what do you want to be the president of? A piece of land between Mexico and 
in Canada. Uh, you just want to rule that territory like some warlord. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. But if, if you believe in open borders, if you do not believe that it is a criminal act to cross our border illegally, then you don't believe in our national sovereignty. So if you don't believe in our national sovereignty, how in the Sam Hill can you take an oath to the Constitution as the President of the United States of America? So all of these people that believe in this stance, they are completely uh, you know, negated from being in this office. Now the other thing is, and near and dear to us here, Texas is number one in the United States of America for human and sex trafficking. I know, yeah. Dallas and Houston, the top two cities. Now what she is talking about means that it gets even worse. When you look at the instances of criminal illegal immigrants that have been deported multiple times that are sex offenders, yeah. that's what she's talking about. And I think that is what we need to bring out, and that's the language, that's the perspective we need to give to people, is that she is happy with people on our streets. She is happy with people being in our country, that number one, are being trafficked, and number two, are sexually abusing American women. Kate Stanley, Molly Tibbetts, yeah. they never talk about that. They never do. Those are stories they don't want you to remember or no. even think about. And I love your point to start with, this idea that if you don't have a border that you enforce, you're not really a country. You're just you're a blob of dirt somewhere on the planet Earth. Yes, and, and, and as I said, this is not about them governing. They just want to rule over this glob of Earth. And so I think that's a great point that we should bring out. Why are these people running to be president of a country that they don't even believe should exist and they don't believe has a sovereign right to exist? Yeah, there's just an amazing uncanny ability of leftists to use this euphemistic language. Mm -hmm. It sounds so sweet and so good, and they use the word like the richness of our culture is increased by well, people coming in. Well, let's talk about our values and everything. Well, talk about the value of human and sex trafficking. Talk about the values of young boys and girls that are being brought into this country, you know, through the coyotes, through the drug cartels, and you're going to say it's okay? I love that point. Plus, what she was answering, for our listeners to remind you, she was answering a young man who's fluent in Spanish, fluent in English, a union guy who clearly wants to vote Democrat. He thinks that he's supposed to do that. So he's asking her, what's your immigration policy going to do? How can you protect workers? And her answer, it was a non-answer. It was a, actually, we're going to make sure that your job is in danger. That's my answer. Or you, you lose your job. Yes. The, the most important thing that the, the other side wants, the progressive socialists, they have to have victims. Yes. <laughs> That's what their rhetoric is all about. They have to have victims. And until people start to realize that, I hate to see it that our young you know, college uh, campus students are falling for this, believing I that know. if someone gives you something for free, uh, that is going to empower you. It's not. It's going to enslave you. Absolutely true. Well, I don't want to miss out on the reason I invited you here no. today. So we have Lieutenant Colonel Allen West in the studio because he has declared his candidacy to be the chair of the Texas GOP, the Texas Republican Party. And if you're listening to this in Texas, you know that we have a robust and active Texas uh, party. We also are a state a little bit concerned because we have the American left. We had Nancy Pelosi in Texas mm -hmm. over the weekend, I think it weekend. was saying essentially that they think they can turn Texas blue. If you're listening anywhere else in this country or wherever you are, I'm gonna tell you that the GOP has a vital role to keep, to organize elections, to inspire people to turn out, to ensure victories for Republican candidates. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West has declared his candidacy for that job, chair of the GOP. So I'm gonna start with, why are you doing this? I gotta tell you, you're such a popular speaker, you could just 
speak all over the country for the rest of your life, be paid, everyone loves to hear you, so why are you running for this job? Well, who cares if I'm speaking all over the country if the country is lost? And so when I sit back and people saying, you know, you need to run for United States Congress, you need to run for United States Senate, and then someone came to me and said, please consider, you know, maybe being the chairman of the uh, state Republican Party. And I was kind of, well, you know, never thought about that. But as you prayed about it, as you looked at it, you talked about it with, uh, you know, my wife and daughters, you have to start thinking, where can you make an impact? And because Texas is key to the future of the United States of America. And when you look at what has been happening in the last few years since the 2012 presidential election cycle, you are seeing a, a, a tightening of the gap between Republicans and Democrats in Texas. And somehow we are not properly messaging. Uh, for instance, I think uh, Mitt Romney won by 16 points. Donald Trump uh, won only by nine points. And then you get to Ted Cruz, who only wins in 2018 by 2.6 percentage points. So something is happening in Texas. Either we're not getting our message out, we are not talking to the people that are moving here for all the growth, the opportunity, the prosperity, the policies that enable that to happen, because for some reason they're looking back and they're bringing the failed policies of California, Illinois, New York, and New Jersey to Texas. Well, that's a true story. Hello to our listeners, and I thought about this in the way here, thinking about this interview. When you think about the 2018 midterm, so we've had President Trump in office for two years, we have a fabulous economy, we have jobs coming back, we have the beginnings of border security, we have this wave of just excitement in this country because we're hearing a president proud of America. And, and, and you don't hear ISIS every day. So on the national security front, I mean, you, you have made incredible leaps and bounds. Yes, uh, the world is a safer place. I always cheered on getting out of the Iranian deal and getting mm -hmm. out of the uh, Paris Climate Accord. So things were going well, and yet in 2018, in this state, which is viewed as rock solid red, we barely squeaked by. Our, you mentioned the outcome of the 2018 elections. We lost congressional seats. We two congressional seats, two, uh, two state senate seats. One was here that you know of, yeah, uh, and the other one was on the other side in Fort Worth, Connie Burton. Yep. So we lost two Senate seats. We lost judgeships. We had mm -hmm. a real kind of wipeout in the 2018 midterms. Mm -hmm. And I know that the argument is, well, since the Republicans won the 2016 elections, it's off election year. Maybe the Democrats have more energy. But that reaction or that outcome in 2018, yeah. given how great things were going, is extremely bothersome. It's and see, like, that's, it's like, a, that's yeah. a issue. I could understand a onesie twosie thing, but when you lose twelve state house seats, yes, in in Texas, that tells you something. That tells you that we're not getting our message into these urban population centers and the suburban areas. You know, we continue to do well in the in the rural areas. There's no doubt about it. But when you look at the shift of demographics, you know, Toyota North America moving into Plano, and then also when you look, as you alluded to earlier, what's happening on our college campuses here, even in the state of Texas, we need to be challenging these professors, these administrators and, and everything, and we need to be supporting our young constitutional conservative students on these college campuses. Oh, we definitely do. So uh, in Texas, you know, you, this uh, state party chair thing is, is an interesting thing as a little aside. Some people can look at the job and say, it's kind of a managerial job. You know, you make sure you have the kind of chairs in place, you encourage voter registration drives, you encourage but you're really talking about, uh, you just encourage the vital 
administrative things, but they don't get people motivated on fire and passionate. They don't mm -hmm. convey positions on issues. They just convey, here's how you do it, come join our Republican club. But there is not, in my view, in Texas, in the 2020 election cycle, there's no voice, uh, no one running. I mean, Ted Cruz isn't on the ballot. Uh, you know, he's often very viewed as in, to be inspirational. There's no one really championing at the state level what we, the GOP, stand for versus the Democrats. You know, so it's, it's very interesting that you brought up Nancy Pelosi being here this past weekend, yeah. and she was talking about how turning Texas uh, blue, making it Democratic, will be wholesome for the United States of America. And the sad thing, Debbie, was that where was our response? When Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez comes into the state of Texas uh, at South by Southwest yeah. and she talks about eradicating the oil and gas industry, yep. where was our response? You know, and, and that's, I think, the thing that is very frustrating uh, because leadership, a person can be in a leadership position, they can still manage resources. But sometimes being a manager of resources, you know, doesn't mean that you can be that exact same leader. Exactly. Back to Nancy Pelosi a moment. You know, it's for our listeners, if you don't know this, if Texas goes Democrat, if our state, the great state of Texas, in the 2020 presidential elections, ends up supporting whoever the Democrats candidate will be, and Trump loses, we, the country, we will, we will not only lose the, the Republicans will lose the presidency, it really sets in place a whole series of problems we'll have way down the line. Redistricting is part of the Absolutely. problem. Absolutely. You want to talk about that one, redistricting? Yeah, sure, because right now Texas has 38 electoral votes. There is no doubt with the, the population shift over the past 10 years, Texas will pick up another two, maybe three uh, electoral votes. That puts it at 40 to 41, still less than uh, California, which is at 58. But we're, the, we're supposedly the second largest, the, the largest, you know, conservative red state. But yes. if that is gone, then from a national elections perspective, you're never going to get there again. Now, all of a sudden, if you lose more seats in the state house, which is what Eric Holder is sitting back trying to mastermind and what Nancy Pelosi is, you know, pulling the levers on, then they'll be in charge of the redistricting somewhat here in Texas. And if they're in charge of redistricting, where do you think those two to three new seats will go? And then furthermore, what do you think will happen with some of the existing seats and how they're redraw it will those be carved lines. out of Congress. And that, and that ties into the other thing was that we lost 56 judgeships oh, I know. in 2018. So now who do you have that's going to you know challenge those redistricting decisions if they go through the court system? Uh, and so that's why we have to sit back and look at this thing strategically uh, and, and not continue to play checkers while you have people that are playing chess. Yeah, you know, the other expression that's often used is about Einstein's uh, definition of insanity. You keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting mm -hmm. a different result. And we have in Texas, we have a, an active GOP presence in almost every county. Mm -hmm. We have meetings of organizations. We have uh, precinct chairs who form an executive committee and they have meetings and we do voter drive, voter registration drives, we knock on doors. But we lost in 2018, despite, I would describe, a very vigorous effort on the part of the Republicans trying to get our voters out. And what was, it was this enthusiasm gap. Now, part of that mm -hmm. is because the Democrats were out of power and they were out of their minds because their candidate lost. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of going to happen every time. But there was not a, a passionate voice except for President Trump saying, here's what we stand for. Here's what we want. So what are you, how are you going to message in Texas? What are you going to talk about? You it's very simple. You know, it was, it was a funny thing. I was down in Rosenberg, Texas over the weekend doing a, an event at a shooting range. And uh, the people that were the food vendors for the event, two black uh, twin sisters. Uh, 
and and I was there at their food truck, and the woman said, you know, I, I they told me you were going to be here, so I studied you and looked you up. I was found you very interesting. She said, but can you just give me the delineation, the difference between Republicans and Democrats? And I told her very simple. I said, we want to make you victors. They want to make you victims. I said, we want you to not just have this one food truck. We want you to have two or three more. And then on top of that, maybe we want to help you to open up a restaurant. And then on top of that, maybe you franchise your restaurant. I said, the other side would rather have you sitting in Section 8 housing waiting for a welfare check. On the welfare line, yep. And that's it. And, and right there, in, in, in three to five short minutes, she got it. And she admittedly said, you know, I have not been voting in my best interest. I said, maybe because we haven't been telling you what your best interest is. We haven't been talking to you. We haven't been talking to you. Yeah. Um, it, it's a big challenge in Texas. We have, of course, as you alluded to earlier, we have transported Californians who think they came to Texas. They sure love the jobs and the economy here, but they think they can still vote Democrat and still have somehow reap the benefits yeah. of the Republican economy. Those kind of messages have to get out there. Well, sure. And that's why I wrote the book. You know, this uh, came out last year, uh, October, uh, Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, because we do a comparative analysis on tax policy, regulatory policy, housing policy. And it's easy. We just have to lay it out in a very simplistic manner that, as I call it, Joe and Jane Sixpack can, can yeah. understand and, and uh, discern. And that's what we have to do. And, and we have to do it every single day, Debbie. And we can't just, like you say, talk within our GOP clubs. You know, today I had an interview with the Texas Tribune. And, you know, they were... Oh, enemy territory. Yeah, go but, ahead. but that's where you got to go. <laughs> I know. You know, I wear paratrooper wings because what? Paratroopers jump in behind enemy lines. They don't jump in in front of the enemy, and they jump in behind enemy lines to cause disruption and confusion. And so here I am talking to this young lady who happened to be an African-American reporter for Texas Tribune about diversity in the GOP. And I said, well, first and foremost, everyone needs to understand that the Republican Party of Texas was founded by blacks on July the 4th of 1867. She didn't know that. That is actually amazing because I feel like we say, we say that so often, but she never heard it. Go ahead. She had never heard it. Yeah. And so think about if that can trickle out and all of a sudden people start to understand in 1867, blacks were forming this party when the Democrats were forming the Ku Klux Klan. And you just start oh, to walk such it, a good contrast. And you just start to walk it through history. You walk it through the thirteenth, the fourteenth, and fifteenth yep. amendments. You know, all of those things. Who pushed it? Who? who pushed it? And 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 she asked, Well, yeah, but you know, the, the, the Civil Rights Act I said the Civil Rights Act would not have passed if it weren't for Senate Republicans. Everett Dirksen, Al Gore Senior and Robert Ku Klux Klan Bird were <laughs> wholeheartedly against yep, it. Yep. And so th we have to understand our history. We have to go into these areas, these non-traditional voters or whatever, and talk to them about principles and values. I mean, Elizabeth Warren's talking about values. I'd love to talk to uh, you know Democrat voters about values, especially in the black communities, Hispanic communities. Absolutely. I was mentioning before we came on that I, I came across this polling. I thought it was actually a study done. Uh, it's called, it was a large scale study called Hidden Tribes, Hidden Tribes. Um, and it's basically looking inside the Democrat Party, kind of how does a Democrat Party end up with the positions they have? And the point they're making in this study is that the people who form policy in the Democrat side is overwhelmingly, it's a tiny segment of the Democrat Party, mm -hmm. white, extremely liberal. Elitist. Elitist, far more liberal than the masses of Americans who vote for them. And so that seemed like, I mean, they were just 
touting this as an interesting observation. They had all sorts of mm -hmm. stats comparing the, you know, what the this elitist ruling class white mentality mm -hmm. was versus the average Joe voter of, of all backgrounds. But it seems like it's an it's an opening. It's it's a window to say, you know, to black voters and Hispanic voters and college age voters. Do you really believe this stuff that they're saying? I mean, immigration is mm -hmm. one where you have Elizabeth Warren. She's pretty much saying, hey, come on in. We're going to let everybody in. We all be citizens, yeah. and we're going to provide all the welfare you need here. And and I think when Americans, it can sound nice, like you're being friendly, but when you really process, what does that mean? You peel the mean? onion back. You peel the onion back yeah. and, and, and then really look at it. Look, this weekend up in Washington, D.C., Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA will have their Young Black Leadership Summit. I know. Yeah. Think about that. Now, do you think CNN, MSNBC, or, or any of the alphabet soup media, they're not going to cover that. They're not going to talk about that because that would so undermine their position. And so this is what we have to continue to do. If we talk to people in a reasonable, logical manner, and I'm not saying you win everybody, but you can win enough that will cause the Democrats to lose their stranglehold. You know, President Trump kind of stumbled upon something that we have always known that the policies of the left have destroyed the black community. They have destroyed the inner city community. He brought that out in Baltimore. And Elijah Cummings had nothing to say about it. And it was so funny, you could probably show the clip of Al Sharpton going down to Baltimore and he got heckled. He got heckled. Yeah, yep. Because people finally figured out. Finally Absolutely, knew. they finally yeah. figured out and they finally realized it. So where else do you see that the elitists running the Democrat Party are not really aligned with the, the kind of working, what do you call them, Joe Sixpack? Joe and Jane Sixpack. Yeah, Joe and Jane Sixpack. Yeah. Not really aligned with a common Democrat voter. I mean, what, what kind of issues are there that they're really not? Well, I mean, the, the, the employment. Uh, thing. I mean, you continue to hear them say that, you know, it's not working, an economy that's not working for you. We need an economy that works for everybody. Well, Steve Moore just put out an op-ed that talks about, you know, on average $4,100 now going to the middle income families across the United States of America. That's a lot of money, but that's not a lot of money to an elitist. Right, it's pocket change. It's pocket change to them, but it means a lot to them, so they want to take that away. Let's start talking about the life issue. Uh, yes. I mean, the, the faith-based community, and like I said, the, the black, Hispanic, many. I mean, it is abhorrent what the New York Governor uh, Cuomo signed into law. That is the exact same reason why Kermit Gosnell is sitting in prison. I know. But we're not bringing that out to show how radical that they have become. I don't think even this transgender movement is another good example where the the elitists think this is the coolest thing ever. We found the latest victim to exploit. Yeah. But I don't think with a common Joe they think, yeah, I, I think we should spend a lot of money and a lot of societal effort legitimizing transgenderism. Well, first of all, we need to take the language back from them. It is gender dysphoria. It yes, is, it is. It is a mental condition that the American Psychiatric Association said, and that's what we need to, to talk about. So when they start talking about having this openly in the United States military, so you're telling me that people with a mental condition now are going to be able to openly serve, and we're supposed to use taxpayer funds for their treatments. No. I mean, you can't have flat feet and be yeah. in the United States military. So it's those simple things that we need to put them on defense. Debbie, we never put them on defense. And that's what we got to start doing. You know, I think that's one of the most important points, and really I've said it to candidates and elected officials, we're always on our side 
defending ourselves, saying, mm -hmm. no, that's not true. That's not what we really meant. We didn't mean to say that. We only think this. We're defending ourselves, and yet the things we stand for, they're what America wants. Mm -hmm. They're And what conservatism stands for in America mm -hmm. is mainstream, main street, July 4th America. That's what the conservatism is. But because you have the media in the tank with the left characterizing simple heartland issues as radical extremism, we're always trying to defend ourselves and well, I don't really think we're that extreme. So I love your point. Go on the offense and yeah. not just on the offense of what we stand for, but point out the outcome of the policies they've created. Sure. The condition of the inner cities as a good example that is owned by Democrat America. It's totally owned by Democrat America or when you go down to Austin, Texas now. Oh. And, and two months ago, when the city, uh, city council of Austin decided and voted that they would allow homeless people to erect tents. So now the capital- On sidewalks. In on sidewalks. Yeah. So now the capital of Texas looks like San Francisco or Los Angeles. And so again, where was our pushback to say, hey, not in Texas. We don't want to see this. And now you're going to see, just the same as you've seen in San Francisco and elsewhere, the second and third order effects of businesses that are going to have to close up. Yep. Because why are you going to go down to downtown Austin for a live music show or concert when you know you're going to have to step over homeless people on the sidewalk? Homeless on the sidewalk and the drug paraphernalia that accompanies their presence. I mean, it is it is just astonishing. There was, I think I told you this last time we were talking with you, but there was a woman who own one of those row houses mm -hmm. they have you know their attached walls mm -hmm. uh, in Austin and her house was for sale but if you took a picture from the street the very house next door had a homeless person's tent on the sidewalk and she said how can I sell my home yeah your property value is just tank. you just can't you can't no one's yeah. gonna come and say oh sure I would take that yeah. and yet this is somehow I mean this is a picture or a glimpse into the mindset of the, the kind of left-wing worldview that somehow permissiveness no standards no rules no guidelines. open borders yeah but they want to take away your individual ability to be able to defend yourself oh against all the criminality and and what have you and and that's such a powerful point it is, and in Texas, I'm gonna tell you, it may be the only point you have to make, no, not really, but it's a serious thing. Texans rightfully cherish their individual right to possess, to own, hey, use the Second Amendment, own a gun and, and protect yourself. Well, I think most Americans do, uh, because if you don't, then you end up looking like Chicago, or, yeah. or Detroit, or Baltimore, or what have you. Okay, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, last time you came on, the exact same thing happened as happened today, which is, I'm happy to have him here. I kind of, I, I kind of jumped in, and I think most of my listeners already know Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. But in case you do not, he is running, as I mentioned earlier, to be the chair of the Texas GOP by very quick way of a very distinguished background. He served in the U.S. military and the U.S. Army. He has served our country in time of war. He's a third of four generations of military servicemen. Uh, start, started a service in active duty in the U.S. Army in November of 1983. Uh, he served in Operation Desert Shield and Operation Desert Storm. He's actually a fighter. He was a fighter for our country there, and that's exactly what he's trying to do, is be a fighter for our country now. He served in the U.S. Congress, representing a district in Florida, and he moved to Texas, where he has just kind of, uh, it's really an amazing thing. When did you move here, by the way? Uh, November, no, December of 2014. 
December 2014. Okay, it's a funny thing because, you, so that's five years basically, yeah. or almost five yeah. years that you've been here. And he has become and is such a popular and sought after speaker in not just Republican dinners and Republican functions, but all sorts of organizations, student organizations and military organizations and community groups. He speaks all the time, but the reason I think his particular talent is really vital at this time in Texas is because his ability to talk about the issues how we Republicans are different from Democrats, what we stand for and how different it is from what they stand for, how our values not are just, they're not just abstract, nice concepts, but they translate into whether you can live a life in safety, abundance, freedom, order, and security, which is what the Republican agenda and platform forwards, or do you live a life like downtown Austin? or San Francisco, or a life where you are Elizabeth Warren and you abandon the borders and you decide that people can kind of, and you, I mean, the entire agenda of the American left is really the evisceration of the identity of America, the yeah. existence of America. So um, I love that you're gonna take this message all around Texas and um, if people wanna read about what you're doing and- Sure, uh, you can go to our campaign website, which is west, the number four, texas.com. You can follow me every day on theoldschoolpatriot.com. And then of course you can and, uh, see me on all types of uh, media outlets. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and Instagram as well. What's your Twitter handle? At uh, Alan West. Just at Alan West. Simple. Okay. So this is going to be an interesting uh, discussion in the great state of Texas because stepping up to say we have to do something different in Texas, we had pretty darn unhappy results in the 2018 midterms. We, 2020 is bearing down on us. The Democrats truly believe they can turn Texas red. And this is one patriot standing up saying, uh, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Come and take it. Okay. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thanks. Okay. Thank you so much Always for coming. A pleasure, Debbie. It's great to have Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Uh-huh. Okay, folks. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. And I'm next time he's here, I won't do his bio first. I won't do it last. I'll do it first. But I want to turn to two other stories today that also really impact Texas and the future of our country. And again, they turn back to the Democrat Party candidates. Earlier you heard Elizabeth Warren actually proudly answering a question from a, from a Democrat voter, a union member voter, hey, how's your immigration policy going to impact jobs, you know, job security? He's worried that if you bring all these legal immigrants in, what's gonna to happen to our jobs? And her answer was, we're gonna legalize them all, we're gonna bring more, even more legal immigrants here. She's already a border abandoner. I mean, her answer was a total non-answer, still waiting for left-wing media to point this out, that what is that guy left thinking? Like, maybe I should vote Republican. But in addition to that, um, there were a couple studies I wanna mention because uh, I guess I wanna focus Elizabeth Warren a little more. There are people now in the left-wing media who, are see, who see her as the likely, likely winner of the Democrat primary, the likely uh, presidential candidate on the left. I think she is too. Barring Hillary Clinton getting in, which we'll talk about that next, barring Hillary Clinton getting in, barring uh, Michelle Obama getting in, Elizabeth Warren looks like she is probably going to emerge as a winner of the Democrat primary. Biden's going to get out. Warren is too, uh, is, you know, she's uh, as leftist as is or, uh, any of them, but she's more palatable. She satisfies the desire on the left to have a woman. And then Bernie Sanders, obviously still in the race, you know, he's not only openly socialist, but, you know, he doesn't, you can't check any boxes. He's, he's old, he's white, he's male. And honestly, his ideas are so crazy that even some of the left are starting to call him crazy Bernie. But Elizabeth Warren, she may end up being our candidate. 
part of what I've noticed on the left is a growing determination by left-wing pundits to say, now you can't really call Elizabeth Warren a socialist. That's not right. She's not a socialist. You know, she is a, you know, she's a capitalist. She's a free market person. She just has ideas a little bit to the left. This is so not true. And I want to start to begin to lay out the evidence for having all of us understand Elizabeth Warren is just as leftist. She's just as leftist as is Bernie Sanders, in some ways more leftist. They're in now a growing sweepstake, a competition about who can be more leftist, who can promise more free things, she and Bernie Sanders are. So she started down this path of, you know, that reparations, of course she agrees with reparations, and that's an important thing. Well, then she's been on, what about reparations for the LGBTQ community because they haven't been treated fairly? And what about people who couldn't get, get married uh, because they were same sex? And so maybe we have to have reparations to people who did not have the benefit that married couples have to jointly file as a married couple. She's happily arguing for reparations for not just uh, African Americans, but for L the LGBTQ world. She's very openly advocating for direct government control over more and more of private corporate life. She and Bernie Sanders are talking about the idea of a tax on wealth. And I want to spend a minute on that and then talk to you about a study related to what motivates socialists to want to redistribute wealth. But on Elizabeth Warren, what she's talking about is the idea that in her world view, her thinking, some people just have too much money that the way you get more money in Washington for her to spend and the way she wants to spend it is to actually tax your net worth. She has the, she's also been floating the idea of a 70% income tax rate, which you have had things floating in that area in the past in America, didn't work out well. One of the great things Reagan did when he came into office was pull down those high tax rates. But it's a very different thing in Washington for politicians to be saying, I'm running to, I want to adjust tax rates. I think that people earning over X should get some amount of money. That's very different than somebody saying, everything you own, your net worth must be calculated. And then if it's over X, you need to send in the excess. Bernie Sanders floating ideas like this, and uh, as, as well as Elizabeth Warren floating ideas that somehow you just tax people based on their whole net worth. And I want to get the thinking behind that and how that is so profoundly un-American. We obviously have to have taxes in America to pay for our genuine common needs. We collect taxes in this country from people so we can have an army, we have a military, we support our border security, or at least Republicans do. You know, we keep the air, the FAA keeps the airlines safe. We, we monitor that so we don't have planes crashing into each other. We have all sorts of legitimate needs that the government, they are collective needs. We have taxes taken by the government to pay for these things. But the purpose for taxing is to raise money to pay for those things which we understand to be our common needs. We even are collecting taxes to go toward Medicare, Medicaid, and other forms of, uh, and Medicare and Medicaid, Medicare and Social um, Security are not forms of welfare. They are things we paid into, but many people collecting those are collecting more than they paid in. But we also have the means-tested welfare programs where we're paying taxes, and so based on your, uh, poverty rate, your income rate, you are able to collect things, collect money from Washington or collect food stamps, other things uh, based on your need. But the point of this is that our tax system is designed 
Our tax system is designed to collect sufficient money from the people to run their country, to run the business of the government. We're not going to talk about our debt today or the deficit because that's not the topic of today. But what Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are talking about is a major paradigm shift. It's a major shift in how you think about why we have taxes at all in America. Because what those people are saying is that you should be taxed because the government has decided you have too much money. You have more money than you need. You shouldn't be allowed to have that much money. And you think about the founding of our country, the idea of, you know, for the Declaration of Independence, we all have rights from God, that we have God-given right to pursue life, liberty, and pursue our version of happiness. It's kind of a, you know, you, you're born into this precious country, you have these rights, and the idea of our country is, you know, you just launch forth, you follow the laws, and you pay the taxes you owe, you launch forth, and we wish you the best, and we hope that you lead, that leads to success. What the Democrat mindset is becoming, what both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are saying is that taxes should be a means of punishing success. Taxes should be levied for the, because they, the ruling elite is telling you, they don't think you should have as much money as you have. It's a major league shift in how, in the idea behind taxes. And there need to be more people talking about that, not just weighing her tax rate versus somebody else's tax rate. We need to be rejecting as a country, as a people. We are not part of a country that says the government decides how much you can have. That's what communists do. That's what socialists do. Elizabeth Warren cannot be let off the hook that she's not really a socialist when she is. If she wants Medicare for all, she wants social, which is socialized medicine, no way out. The government control the healthcare system. She wants government control of wealth, government deciding what you can have. She doesn't get to say she's not a socialist. She is. She may end up being their candidate because she's the only one seeming to emerge at all, but she cannot get away with saying she's not really a socialist because she is. And Bernie Sanders recently had a statement essentially saying the same thing, saying there should not be any billionaires, as B as in boy billionaires. The country just shouldn't have billionaires, shouldn't, shouldn't be allowed. Billionaires in Bernie Sanders' world should not exist. Well, the only way you can say billionaires shouldn't exist to successful people who have actually earned billions is to say that you're taking the side of saying the government's job is to decide how much money people should have and to take away money from them if you think they have too much of it. That is a paradigm-shifting, anti-freedom, anti-free market, anti-American idea it needs to be called out as that. Final quick story for today. I mentioned earlier that Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, is um, launching a book tour. It's not real, you know, I call it the comeback tour. Hillary Clinton has a book coming out. It's called Gutsy, it's out today. Today is her big launch. Gutsy Women, Favorite Stories of Courage and Resilience. She and her daughter Chelsea allegedly wrote this book. I doubt either one of them spent a moment on it, but whatever, it's a book by them. But she's starting a speaking tour with her book about Gutsy Women. I'm just telling you folks, this is a woman who is, she's sensing weakness in the Democrat party. She can see Biden is gonna be out. He's gonna have to leave the presidential race. Too much corruption with the Ukraine and China. She can see that this impeachment fervor of Trump is picking up. She's sensing the idea that maybe, just maybe, there'll be people turning against Trump. 
she sees this as an avenue to getting into the 2020 presidential race, mark my words. This is what this woman sees. She thinks that this is her path. This is a woman, if you run through as we used to do when she was a candidate in 2016, you run through the number of scandals and to her name on her resume, the number of times she's just been permitted to slip through the cracks, to commit things that anything else, anyone else who committed them would be charged, would be prosecuted, be convicted and be in jail. She's walking free. You know, and she's really telegraphing to everyone in America, come on, get behind me. I want to be president again. I want to run a campaign again. She's going to get in unless she just fears she can't win. She sees weakness in her own party. She sees the rest of the candidates beside Elizabeth Warren uh, and maybe Bernie have no traction. Biden is going to be out. This is, this is her plan. And again, when you talk about a woman with a track record of astonishing corruption. I mean, only if, if you're only paid attention to politics since 2016, you know about her uh, private server at her home where she sent uh, and received top level, top, you know, top confidential emails from the top secret emails from people all over the world in her role as secretary of state from 2012 to 2016. You know, that's what she did. No, I'm sorry. She was 28 to 2012. She was secretary of state. That was her adventure. That's what she did. She was, uh, she was involved in sabotaging uh, her own uh, servers, a disk. She had bleach bit and crushing of them, didn't respond to subpoenas, just, just was a complete, was able to just ignore the law. And this woman, if she were Republican, would be in jail for life. She's a Democrat and she's a viable presidential candidate, at least in her own mind. And now, my friends, I want to turn to tell you, as I try to do this sh- end of the show every week, tell you why these stories we talked about matter to you. And so we will start with the beginning of our show today. We had Elizabeth Warren. Amnesty is good for U.S. workers, only in her imagination. The ideas and proposals of radical socialists like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders must be understood. They're as serious as they are loony. Legalizing or granting amnesty to millions of illegal immigrants is not going to help the American citizens like that poor guy who asked the question at the, at the uh, labor conference who want jobs. It makes it harder for American citizens to compete for jobs. This is common sense. It also degrades the value of citizenship, undercuts pressure for wage increases for working Americans. Sanders Warren giveaway sweepstakes. Again, the ideas and proposals of radical socialists like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders must be understood. They're as serious as they are loony. Billionaires shouldn't exist, said Bernie Sanders. Seizing private property and wealth is the government's job. That's what he thinks it is. And so does Elizabeth Warren. Medicare for all, free college, reparations. These are all forms of forced wealth redistribution. It's a slimy, slippery slope that's very hard to climb back up. Entitlement and demands for more always follow. People who get free things always want and demand more free things. These ideas, dissolving private property rights in favor of government-controlled economy, belong to royalty and dictators. They are utterly un-American. And Hillary Clinton on her comeback tour, audacity, brazenness, hypocrisy, venality, thy name is Hillary Clinton, committed felonies in the handling of classified communications, obstructed justice in the destruction of subpoenaed evidence, was AWOL as Americans died in Benghazi and lied about the cause of their deaths, colluded with the Russians and the Ukrainians to influence the 2016 elections. She's the one who's doing that. And these are just 
oh, conducted pay-to-play with Clinton Foundation donors, see Uranium One. And these are just the most obvious publicly known criminal actions. And now she's on a tour to promote her book, Gutsy Women. There are no words except do not buy this book. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Please tune in every week, every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. And please follow me on Twitter at Debbie Can We Talk. Like this page on Facebook and comment. Love hearing from you. And if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe on YouTube. Love talking with you. And if you want to email me, it's americacanwetalk at gmail.com. And come back every day where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America?